Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we're taking a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who loves some singing and dancing in the Navy, Palmer. How are you today? Hey. Hey. This is the third time we've done this intro. I'm out of funny things to say. You know, you could just repeat some of the funny things. No. No. That's you know, the, no, no. the funny part about this? My. None of the things you said were funny. Oh. oh. No, I'm just kidding. They were actually hilarious. They were. But you'll never know. And we just did that because your Mike Crane system was not working for me. <laughs> so, but you know what? It's working now, isn't it? Yay. Yeah. All right. Much, much better. We're going to talk about the 1946 Best Picture Oscar nominees. They are as follows. The Lost Weekend, Mildred Pierce, Spellbound, Anchors Away, and The Bells of St. Mary's. Palmer, I know you know what won Best Picture <laughs> because I just told you in a previous recording, and that is... Mildred Pierce. The Lost Weekend. I was close. Very good. You actually guessed correctly the first time. I know. It's not as fun. Why do you think Lost Weekend won? Uh, I don't know. It just... It seemed it. It seemed like yeah, the best like movie. It it took on the uh, it took on the the whole thing of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. The yeah. whole thing. The whole thing. It took on it took on the whole thing. It took on the whole thing of alcoholism. Indeed. After prohibition. Yes. Yes. After. after prohibition. Indeed. No one knows when it is. Yeah. They actually talked about prohibition in the film, if you recall. Yes. Yeah, I don't. No, you don't. Okay, great. <laughs> this is going to be a great episode. I can oh, tell. yes. It's going to be. It's going to be great. Palmer didn't actually watch any of them. He's no, Palmer watched all of them in one day. Well, I told you we were recording this episode weeks ago. Look, I've recently become hooked on Veronica Mars. Oh, oh so that explains <laughs> so much. So that is kind of sucked up my life. Gotcha. Okay, that's not an excuse. This is your job. <laughs> Do your job. I did. I watched the movies. Yes. In oh. one day. Oh, my God. We're going to talk about The Bells of St. Mary's first, directed by Leo McCary, written by Dudley Nichols, story by Leo McCary, starring Bing Crosby and Ingrid, uh, Ingrid Bergman. I was Ingrid Bergman. It was nominated for Best Picture, actor for Crosby, actress for Bergman, editing, original song, Aren't You Glad You're You, best not. music, and I know you don't, and it won Best Sound. Plot revolves around a big city Catholic school. Father O'Malley, who is newly arrived, uh, kind of butts heads with Sister Mary Benedict. uh, And they kind of have a little rivalry going about the best way to educate their students. All the while, the school is pretty much on the brink of collapse and everyone's trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, that sounds about right. Educational philosophies are at play. Here we go. I've heard about this movie for... Ever. Years, yeah, and I had never seen it, and it's now, also it's also a Christmas movie? Question mark. I don't think so. There's nothing about Christmas in this, yeah, except that for that one scene, right? That takes place at Christmas, and it's just an excuse for Bing Crosby to sing Christmas songs. <laughs> Why are you singing White Christmas in this movie? Well, my my whole thing really with this this I would not classify the Bells of Saint Mary's as a musical or a movie. No, I classified it as a movie. Okay. Certainly, it was made with a camera, wasn't it? <laughs> right? They didn't. Ingrid Bergman didn't come into it, my home. She might have. I hope. You not. know why she this did. is actually considered a Christmas movie? No. Because the uh, the 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 rich guy that they're trying to get 
to give them Mr. the Potter. land. That, right. Yeah. No, it's no, not I, Mr. Potter. I know. But it's the uncle from uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I knew he looked familiar, and was I couldn't it, place him. Or was he Clarence? He was from It's a Wonderful Life. He was Clarence. Yeah, that makes more sense. He was Clarence. and um, Help me, Joseph. And the guy who played Bim in Bim, The Lost Bim. Weekend was Ernie. In Hudson? Yes, he played Ernie Hudson. Okay. He was Ernie in It's a Wonderful Life, to connect back to what you were talking about. Uh, right. Henry Travers. Yes. Very good. Yep, Clarence. Clarence. Nailed it. Yep, nope, you didn't, but it's okay. So anyway, I I had heard about this f- film for years, The Bells of St. Mary's, and I like this. I felt like a film built for me. It's about educational philosophies, and it's about and a Catholic bells. school and bells that didn't come into and play at all. And you went to St. Mary's. I did go to St. Mary's. Very good. <laughs> so did you. Yep. Don't, don't discount yourself. And um, may you rest in peace. And um, I thought Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman, like this movie was primed for me. And the the I it was the longest two hours and six minutes that I'd watched it, in a long time. It's like two and a half hours. It's, it's not two hours and six it's minutes. It's two hours and six minutes. Mm, seems wrong. Yeah. Anchors Away is almost two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, see, I yep, can you're see right. you're confused because you watched them all on the same day. Right. So basically to you, it was ten hours of movie watching. Oh, it was so many hours of movie watching. It was a lot of hours of movie watching. Um, so um, Bing Crosby, I believe he just wanted to be a priest in another life. Do you think so? At this point. Like, doesn't he, like, play a priest in, like, every single movie we've seen him in? No, it's the first movie we've seen Bing Crosby, and Spencer Tracy is the one that keeps playing priests. Oh, yeah. What happened to you? Look, it's been a long day. Did you hit your head or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you okay? I Blink if you're in trouble. We didn't go. We didn't see Going My Way? No, we wouldn't have yet. Nope. Okay. Nope. You're All right, I'm back on board you're, with this. You're back on board with so, the So, the movie Mary's. was... The movie's okay. I... L- it's very antiquated. It doesn't. I don't think it holds very well. No, but I'm, but I'm kind of okay with that. The ki- the 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 mother superior and the pastor of the parish make a bet about what kid's going to win in a fight, and she teaches the kid to throw proper punches so he can punch a kid in the jaw over and over again. And they're like, "Yep, good job, kids." Right, but if you notice, like, it's a it's a organized. Because it's a boxing match. So it's an organized that fight. Is, that is not okay. Wait a second. It's an organized fight that once the kid falls down, it's over. And then they become friends afterwards. Yeah, because movies. Right. I'm looking at it as, like, that's a, that's a, I don't care if it's a movie. You don't teach a kid to fight and they go, okay, go fight them. Like, uh, you don't You're do really going to dislike uh, summer, uh, Indian Summer. Which we're not watching for the podcast, but you should just watch it in general. I'm not going to if I'm going to dislike it. No. Um, but so aside from that, the biggest problem I had with this movie was it seemed like every time they were like, there, we wrapped up. We wrapped up the storyline. They started another storyline. Yes. I and then ended that agree. one and then started another one. It was almost like it was following like it was like a weird vignette style but without being a vignette style right i mean it had that overarching like we're trying to get the building over there that we originally owned to tr- whatever well i mean that's let me tell you <laughs> that's normal that felt very familiar <laughs> and true to me it was cute and antiquated i didn't understand 
the, the best picture mentality. I think like Bing Crosby's good, Ingrid Bergman's good. It's, it's not a, I, she's not as good as she is in other films this year. Right. It's a feel good movie, which given this year is is hard to come by. But it's also the type of movie that Hollywood really loved uh, in 1945. It, I mean, well, I would say in the early days. Uh, y- yes and no. I would. I would. I like, mean, technically, we still like feel good movies, right? But this is like this is the kind of stuff that was rewarded back then. Sure, right? Um, Anchors Away would not be nominated for Best Picture today, right? And I would say, like, when I think of quintessential. Er, early cinema movies, I think of Anchors Away and Bells of St. Mary's. I don't think of Lost Weekend or Spellbound or Mildred Pierce. Sure, but um, but then you're thinking of a very limited scope of films, especially after watching all of the ones that like we've watched. Oh, I will I will start to think of more now. Mm-hmm. But but just being like a cinema fan prior to doing this. This is this is the classic this, this is, is the golden age style. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're kind of always like in every reel that shows like the glory days of cinema. That's true. It's it's, you know, Gene Kelly dancing. It's Bing Crosby, you know, singing Fruity. White Christmas. Right. You know. Right. You know, and I, I I understand that. I think for these films, Bells of St. Mary's and um Anchors Away, as we said they're here this year because it's night they came out in 1945 we're still at war with germany and japan and when these movies are being made and released but it's winding down it's winding down but that is, they're still at war like, yeah it's not like they didn't know they were like they kind of knew they were winding down and oh yeah we've got hitler on the run but the war with japan could have raged for another decade for all anybody right knew. um and we'll get to it uh, I'll talk about not, that with Anchors Away. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not listed on my fun facts for Anchors Away, but that was one of the reasons why Anchors Away gets made. Yeah, it's pro-Navy. Well, not that it's pro-Navy. They wanted, they knew the war, like everyone kind of sensed the war was winding down, so they wanted to put out something that would kind of get the nation, like, upbeat. Patriotic, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pro-Navy. It really is. Right, because the war, because, well, the war, Japan, the war against Japan is, is a naval war, basically, right. so... I mean, not basically. It's a lot of other things, too. Yeah. But it was, you know, Navy was a huge part of it. Pearl Harbor, you know. Yeah. You know, so. Um, so, yeah, so to no, go back it, to Bells of St. Mary's, it's fine. It's, it is it is of its time. It's fine. I don't know if I would. I don't dislike the movie. I think it has some nice parts. But I don't know if I would no. ever recommend it. I I would never watch this movie again. Oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't watch this movie again. But, I mean, I could still like a movie and then be like, you know, I liked it to the first time I watched it, but I could see subsequent viewings not getting more out of it yep. or diminishing yep. returns. If anything, I would just fast forward to the bits where Bing Crosby was singing. Yeah, which I'm probably sure you can just YouTube those. Yeah, I've watched this movie on YouTube, so I'm <laughs> sure I can. Um, but as so aside from that, you know, you also have the... The Mother Superior, who's who's basically the um, the she's, stand-in she's for blessed. Moses in this movie. She's Be- the stand-in for Moses. Yes, Save because more she's right now. She's like, you know, we want that. We want to get that other building, and we want him to just gift it to us because we can't afford to buy it. So it's kind of like Moses wanting to get Pharaoh to let his people go, and then he does, and she can't be there. 
to oh, see it forward. I, I she can't. has to she has to go to up, Arizona. She has to go upstate to a farm so she can run around. I really didn't know where you were going with that, but if you looked at the bill I can I can, t- can I, I tweak your analogy? I mean, you can. I'm going to tweak your analogy. It really <laughs> wasn't a que- it was really a rhetorical question. <laughs> It's not so much Pharaoh letting the slaves go. It's about getting to the promised land. That I will, I'll give you that. Right, but you got to, Pharaoh has to let them go first. Yeah, but they have control over, if you, if you, the kids are like the Hebrews, they already have control over the kids. So it's about getting those kids to a better place. Mm, the okay. promised land. Either way, I'm sticking with my Moses analogy. I, that is a this is a modern day st- Moses that story. It is a stretch, but I'm going to allow it because <laughs> is this the one movie you liked? No. Oh, okay, great. It's Don't tell one, me. I'm it's keep it's going. the movie that's okay. Like I didn't hate it. It just kind of lingered on and on. It did linger. It did linger. Speaking of movies that lingered, but I liked anyway. Anchors Away, directed by George Sidney, written by Isabel Lennart, uh, starring Frank Sinatra, Gene Kelly. Catherine Grayson and starring first appearance of Tom and Jerry, Tom and Jerry, no Dean Stockwell. Yes, yes, as the cute child who just wants I'm to. I'm pretty sure he has a name. So bad, <laughs> cute child. No, David. Yeah, probably. Yeah, uh, nominated for best picture, best actor for Gene Kelly, cinematography, original song, I fall in love too easy, sung by Frank Sinatra. It won best music for a motion picture or a comedy or something like that because there's another picture winner for score. So I don't know what the difference is. But uh, the story revolves around two sailors, one naive and one experienced in the ways of the world that get uh, four days of shore leave in Los Angeles and hijinks ensue. Yes. Yes. This movie's too long. It's about 20 minutes too long. Yep. Yeah. I would would probably even go a half hour too long. Like it's it's there's a lot of filler. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie is made just so Gene Kelly has excuses to dance. Well, actually, so this is the first movie that Gene Kelly... And Frank Sinatra do. Uh, that's not what I was going to say. Wow, thanks for stepping all over me for, you're for a second. Just like Frank Sinatra did to Gene Kelly. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, your fun facts. You forgot. <laughs> no, it's too late. Nope. I'm, I'm already in it. No, nope. your fun facts after we talk about Anchors Away. Right. I'm already in it. Um, <laughs> it's your own fault. <laughs> wow, you really are out of it today. Uh, Five movies in one day. It's your fault. I can't. I can't help you. It's your own fault. <laughs> and so, I need um, an intern. Okay, <laughs> watch this movie for me. Write up some notes, <laughs> or watch Veronica Mars for me. No, wait, no, don't do that. I need to. Watch <laughs> I like it. Veronica Mars. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, um, this movie, yes, was the first, um, out of three Sinatra Kelly team ups. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was going to say that this is the first movie that Gene Kelly choreographed on his own. Right. And so when you say it was a showcase for Gene Kelly, every Gene Kelly movie is a showcase for Gene Kelly. But that's why they're great, because he's the best. Oh, he is. He's great. Yeah, I was going to say, but, don't you dare diss No, Gene and I'm Kelly. not like his, like, I love his dancing. It's phenomenal. But some, like... It just seems weird. Like the movie for the length it is, is just a lot of fluff of, well, we need 10 scenes of Gene dancing for like five minutes a piece. So there's like, there's 50 minutes of our runtime. Right. There's two dream sequences in this movie. Not one, two Two dream sequences. So like 50 minutes of our runtime is Gene dancing. And then we have... An hour and ten minutes for a 
for a plot. Yep. So, like, the plot just seems like it's going along faster than the movie. Uh, y- yes. I it, it it does have a weird pace, and I guess that's the best way to describe it, that the plot's moving faster than the movie, I guess. Yeah. But honestly, I was completely charmed by this movie, I think. I loved the naivete of Frank Sinatra, who... In their dance number together, is clearly not as good of a dancer as Gene Kelly, but it kind of plays into his character that way. Right. And that he's just not as good about things as Gene Kelly is. Um, And I I didn't even know Frank Sinatra could dance like that, so I was, like, completely blown away in in my own right. Or kind of act. Like, he's not great. He's a much better singer than anything else. But, yeah, he looks 40, even though he's 20. Frank Sinatra's got a weird face. His face... He hasn't grown into it yet. His like, if you look at his eyes and like his nose and his mouth, mm-hmm. yes, he so looks face, older. Yes. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, like, you look at those features, he looks older. Mm-hmm. But his face around that, around those features, look young and very narrow. Oh, sure. like his face is a lot more narrow than he was when me or you kind of would have started knowing him. Gotcha. Now, granted, he's forty years older at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like when I think of Frank Sinatra, I don't necessarily think of like '90s Frank Sinatra or early, you know, '90s Frank Sinatra. Maybe, yeah, he died very late in the '90s because um, mm-hmm. I was still in high school. Mm-hmm. So I don't think of like Frank Sinatra then. I think of Frank Sinatra more of like '60s and '70s. So his face is a little fuller then. Yes, I would agree with you. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. He just looks young. Right. Right. He looks simultaneously young and old. It's weird. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Anyway. So. Go ahead. So this is a movie that I would recommend. Oh, I yeah. don't I don't know if I would watch it again. I would watch it Because again. of all the filler. Like, if I want to see Gene Kelly dancing, again, I'll pull up the YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Or I'll watch something that is just supposed to be like him dancing. Right. Um, when I, when I watch a movie or even a movie musical, we've had this conversation before. I want the music to kind of move the story along. Mm-hmm. And it, and in this one, it just kind of like the story happens. Now we have a dance break. The story happens. Now we have a dance break. At least the Frank Sinatra song kind of did something in the movie and the dancing kind of is great, is really good. And that's what drove people into the to the theaters back then mm-hmm. to make them feel good about them, about everything. But it just disconnects the movie for me a bit. Yeah. Okay. That's f- I mean, that's fine. That's fair. Older musicals are not for everybody. Um, but I think I don't, I wouldn't be as entranced with this if it wasn't Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the, and actually Catherine Grayson is excellent. She is. And, and Jose Iturbe being in the movie is, even though he, it's the fakest looking piano playing in the known, even world. though that he's one of the world's greatest piano players, you can be the world's greatest piano player in just not being playing piano in the movie. Like I'm pretty sure he played live. Like the, like watch the way it, well, you, he looks when, like he's playing with his knuckles. When, when, well, you do play with your knuckles depending on the song because you got to roll up. 
No. Yes. Who is the Who is the pianist here? Is I am. Me? Yes. No, no. It's me. Well, who you is couldn't have asked me that question. Who then? is the professional musician in this me. relationship? It's me. Me. You don't play a single instrument that you know of. No, I know you I don't play, play the violin. No, you don't. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> that would have been great if we would have used the first take because that would have been a callback to 1776. You could have just said the 1776 bit when we started recording. No, this I only one. do my bits once. I know. Well. You're a weird stand-up comedian that way. <laughs> anyway, I lost my train of thought. Now I'm thinking about trains. trains. I am thinking about yep. trains. Oh, uh, no. The cinematography, look at the way they film They film the music in the movie. Because when somebody's not playing a piano on screen or a musical instrument, they won't show you their hands. They're always hidden by something. Or, you know, it's their back or it's a weird corner and angle because they don't want you to they don't want to show you they're not actually hitting the notes because the actor or actress doesn't know how to play the instrument. They're just pretending Mm. they went out of their way to show you how he's playing and how everybody is playing in the movie. It would be like even like if Gene Kelly wasn't a great dancer, don't show his feet. You would like. You know what I mean? Like, or you would cut down to his feet, and but you wouldn't see anybody else. So you could do body doubles and things, or yeah. hand doubles, things like that. He's he's really playing. It it looks really fake. I'm sorry that you feel that way, but honestly, you've watched these movies in great succession, and you admitted that you barely watched them while watching them. So I'm not going to take what you say. Oh no, I watched them, and I still can't <laughs> figure out why Spencer Tracy was a priest Bing in this movie. Crosby. Bing Crosby was a priest of the Bells of St. Mary's. <laughs> Spencer Tracy was not in any of these films, which I think marks uh, a milestone <laughs> in one weird way that Spencer Tracy... We have not talked about Spencer Tracy but we have at them. all this season, I don't think. Oh, yeah, we have. Last last episode, I think. Are you sure about that? No. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. pretty sure we haven't talked about Spencer Tracy at all. Look, we, we record the episode so far in advance that, you know... I don't know what's happening. The last time I saw you was February. <laughs> exactly. Although um, we just released the last episode that we've had backed up, so we got to get going. <laughs> I know. Two weeks from now, you're on. Yep. Yeah. I'm giving you two weeks. Okay. All right. I should be able to finish Veronica Mars in time. Can you please do your fun facts for, for Anchors Away <laughs> and Bells of St. And Mary's. then go backward and do Bells of okay, St. Mary's. Okay, so for Anchors Away. Mm-hmm. Anchors Away, my boy. Do you remember learning that at the Bells of St. Mary's? Because I do. I do. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, so that's the Alfred Hitchcock stuff. Who, uh, this was not Billy Wilder. There we go. All right. For the most famous sequence in the film, Mickey Mouse was originally meant to be the dance partner of Gene Kelly. Instead of? Instead of Tom. Tom. No, no, Jerry. Jerry, because yeah. he's Tom's a Tom cat. cat. Right. That's the way to remember it. However, when Walt Disney refused to have his most famous character appear in an MGM film, Kelly turned to MGM's own animation studio and used Jerry Mouse of Tom and Jerry fame. William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, the writers slash directors of MGM's Tom and Jerry cartoons, supervised the animated sequence. The scene initially didn't work as the animators had forgotten to add shadows for Jerry's dancing with Kelly. Additional monies had to be allocated to cover 10,000 new drawings that would be required. Oh, that's such a yes, waste. Because of the um, because of the floor that they're dancing on, you can see Kelly's reflection dancing. Right. And Tom, uh, Jerry didn't originally have a reflection. Oh, yep, that would have been weird. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
released as a morale boost for the U.S. Navy. While World War II was clearly coming to an end in Europe, it was still raging in the Pacific where the Navy was actively engaged against the Japanese. The opening sequence of the film is clearly designed to make the nation feel good about its naval forces. And it does. I wanted to join the Navy at the end of this movie. (laughs) I can sing and dance? If it's like this, this is great. The campaign ribbons worn by Kelly and Sinatra throughout the film symbolize the silver star for heroism, which they receive at the film's beginning. That's right. The American Campaign Medal for Overseas Deployment and the Asiatic Pacific Medal for for Deployment in the Pacific Theater. The two stars of their Asiatic Pacific Medals indicate they had fought in two major battles. Wow. Yeah. Well, because that's the whole thing. Gene Kelly saves Frank Sinatra's life, right? Correct. So he owes him, quote unquote. Um, And they went on to have a legendary feud, apparently. Yes, they did. Yeah, Frank Sinatra apparently um, never liked that, who was a kind of a struggling actor and singer up until this point, never really liked that Gene Kelly upstaged him. Right. And so... The story goes that they made two more films, and then Frank Sinatra was making some movie. Uh, and uh, Robin Hood and the uh, Robin, Robin and, and the, the Seven Hoods. Yeah, that's right. And um, and Gene Kelly tried to be in the movie, and, and he was like, "Nah, get out of here." He was like, nah, "You're not a part I, of the I rap actually hat. Don't like you." Yeah, yeah. I don't know how true that is because this was the first movie, and they went on to make two more movies. Yeah, they said they. Uh, it's come out like he he didn't like. He was hoping this movie would kind of be his stepping stone as an actor. Right. And it didn't turn out to be that. It turned out to be more of a vehicle for Kelly. Yeah, but that's because so, it's Gene Kelly. Right. I but, wouldn't even say that's Gene Kelly's fault. That's no. It's Frank Sinatra's fault for not being as but good as Gene I believe, Kelly. But I believe they've kind of said, like, it didn't really ignite no, the, the division between the two. And, but if anything, it kind of, like, Started maybe by, there. like, the second movie, he was like, Oh, this is happening just like in the last movie. You know, now what's crazy about that though is that if you polled a bunch of people on the street and you said, Do you know who Frank Sinatra is? People say, Yes. If you know who Gene Kelly is, you won't get as many people. Yeah, no, I don't think you would. You, everybody knows Frank Sinatra. I think you mean Gene Wilder. Right. I don't even think you would get that. I think you mean I Dream of Genie. Yes. Yes. So for the Bells of St. Mary's. The production was overseen by a Catholic priest who served as an advisor during the shooting. While the final, while the final farewell scene sequence was being filmed, Bing Crosby and Ingrid Bergman decided to play a prank on him. They asked director Leo McCary to allow one more take, and as Father O'Malley and Sister Benedict said their last goodbyes, they embraced in a passionate kiss while the off-screen priest advisor jumped up roaring in protest. <laughs> That's fantastic. It really was. That's awesome. Leo McCary was inspired to write the original story in tribute to his own aunt and childhood counselor, Sister Mary Benedict, one of the sisters who helped to build the Immaculate Heart Convent in Hollywood hmm. and who died in a typhoid fever epidemic. Typhoid fever? Yeesh. Yeah. That's crazy. At the 1945 Academy Awards... Bing Crosby and Leo McCary won the Best Actor and Director Awards for Going My Way. When Ingrid Berman won the Best Actress Award for her role in Gaslight, she told the audience Spoilers at the award ceremony. Year. <laughs> uh, she told the audience at the award ceremony, "I'm glad I won because tomorrow morning I start shooting the sequel to Going My Way with Bing Crosby and Leo McCary, and I was afraid that if I didn't have an Oscar, they wouldn't speak to me." That's hilarious. <laughs> she was funny. 
She was, she was re- good. Yeah. She was real sassy. She was great. Um, I mean, just in life, not necessarily in, the in movie. this movie. Yeah. I just mean in life. They were. She was pretty great. Um, in life, she was your partner, Jacob Marley. Marley. <laughs> yes, Ingrid Bergman was my partner, <laughs> Jacob Marley. Let's talk about Spellbound, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by Ben Hecht, based on the story "The House of Doctor Edwards" by the pseudonym Francis Bleeding, who was a. It was a pseudonym for two writers who uh, I don't have Edgar Allan Poe. Nope, I will. I have it written down further down the list. I'll talk about it later. Starring Ingrid Bergman, Gregory Peck, and Michael Chekhov. Nominated for Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actor for Chekhov, Black and White Cinematography, and Best Effects. It won Best Music, um, and uh, it won Best Music, the score. Um, somebody, Rosa, I can't remember his first name. Um, starts with an I. But anyway, and- my fun fact is famously Alfred Hitchcock did not like the music to this movie. He was like, he puts it in everywhere. It's all over the place. And then the guy gets, a, the, an, award gets an Academy Award for it. It's, it also won a a special Academy Award for Best Use of Salvador Dali. Best Use of Salvador Dali yep. in any film ever. Yeah. Even Salvador Dali's own surrealist films. <laughs> it's better than those. So I have stuff about that, too. So the plot revolves around a psychiatrist played by Bergman, uh, who protects the identity of an amnesiac patient accused of murder while recovering his memory, played by Gregory Peck. Yes. This was one of Gregory Peck's very first roles ever. Okay. He is, I can see it. He, yep. He is very young in it. And he's a... It's... I like this movie and don't like this movie all at the same time. And I have good... Re- I, I have good reasons for it. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm listening. Okay. So, well, tell me about how you feel about the movie because mine's going to go rather in depth. Uh, good, because mine's going to really scratch the surface. This movie uh, ends pretty well. Spellbound? Yeah. Yeah. But getting there is a chore. Sure. Okay. Um, I, I do... I figured that you would like how this movie ends. Yeah. I do like... Alfred Hitchcock movies, mm-hmm. um, and this is kind of a different Alfred Hitchcock movie. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I'm glad you recognize that. Continue. Yeah. And I just mean, like, just the subject matter and the way it's handled seems to be different from Alfred Hitchcock. Now, when you get to the end, it's like, oh, all right. There he is. Th- there's the thriller part of this. But I think when I saw, I think when I saw the categories on this, when I pulled it up, it was like mystery noir, and I'm like, there's no voiceover. This isn't noir. That's what makes a noir a noir. So I guess you didn't like Mildred Pierce for it being noir either, huh? <laughs> um, so Although I actually did have voiceover because it, she, did, it has flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, so the first half hour, 45 minutes mm-hmm. – it just kind of goes on and on for me. Wow, but um, that's the love story. I'm so surprised at you. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I I do think if you can sit down and bear with it, you'll get you'll get something good out of it. Okay. That's I I accept that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I actually really agree with that. Um okay, do you want me to tell you about yeah, this the history of Spellbound, which is why I like it? Um Alfred Hitchcock had to honor a contract he had with producer David Oselznick, who, if you, like, watch any of these movies, his name's, like, at the bottom of all of them. Even the Bells of St. Mary's, it says Ingrid Bergman appears in the Bells of St. Mary's right. because of, like, the like because of her contract with David Oselznick. Right. So back then, actors and actresses they were contracted stu- to studios. Studios, that's right. Um, 
and basically if you wanted a studio contract player to appear in your movie, you kind of had to either do a trade where like one of yours would appear in there that's right. or you'd give them some money. Um, that's not a huge thing anymore. No, they're free agents now. Kind I mean, of. your contract, so like let's say you could sign up for a franchise – where, right, like, you have to or appear can... in nine Marvel Studios films, or right? Like, like you, that. like yeah, you, most of your contracts now are a three or four deal uh, film deal with a certain production company. For but if something comes, character, no, generally not necessarily. But yeah, I know what you're saying. But um, or, you know what? It might be directors more than anything that yes. do like directors the still have a bit of that, right? But if something comes up, you can. Do it at another studio. That's right. Especially if like the studio passes on the film. That's right. So yeah, most have just have a first look deal, right? And then they go somewhere else. Yeah, like J.J. Uh, Abrams just inked a huge deal with, with Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers. The first look deal right. with Warner Brothers, exactly. Which is huge. Yeah, like that's good for both of them. Good for them. You yeah. know, make the money. But anyway, so um, Hitchcock was kind of like he didn't want to. He wanted to make movies on his own at this point. He wanted to be his own producer. And right. he, he still had to fill his contract with Selznick, who was like, okay, I'll make your dumb movie. What do you want me to make? Where he was British, like, okay, I'll make your dumb movie. What do you want me to make? Except that's not what he sounded like at all. As he was drinking tea. As he was drinking British m- definitely more than tea. No. Yeah. British people only drink tea. That is not correct. They also drink whiskey and brandy. You've seen Titanic. Rye. Yeah, <laughs> rye. A lot of rye going on. And so... Um, so Selznick wanted to make a movie about psychiatry because he was in psychiatric therapy and he was like, it's really good. You got to make a movie about this. And so they started to talk about loosely adapting the House of St. Edwards, um, the House of Dr. Edwards. Sorry. Um, The writing student was Hillary St. and George Saunders, by the way. I knew I had it somewhere in here. Good job. So Hitchcock did not have a good relationship with Selznick at this point. So there was like a lot of tension happening behind the scenes in the first place. And Hitchcock even said, like, I can control him during pre and post pre production and production. Like, I'll like I can do my thing. Like he would be like. He would, like, not talk to him when he was on set. He'd be like, oh, no, we're closing up shop for today, like, when he <laughs> would show up. So there was a mandatory love story by Selznick for the film. And Hitchcock was like, I don't want to do your stupid love story. <laughs> and Selznick was like, well, too bad. You're under contract, so do my stupid love story. So he was like, okay, but I'm going to do this big sequence with, like, the doors open to symbolize their love. You okay with that? Like, because I got to make it Hitchcock. Basically, <laughs> I got to do something with this. I need to do something with this nonsensical Dolly. love story where this like respected psychiatrist falls in love with this potentially murderous amnesiac patient. Uh, it's called the Nightingale effect. Nightingale uh, effect. Anyway, it's a psychological thing. And so, um, so the big thing that Hitchcock wanted to do was bring in Salvador Dali. Which he did, obviously. Which Selznick did not want. Selznick did, was not interested in this at all. Really dragged his feet in hiring him. And it was only two weeks before well, because, they were supposed to film those yeah. scenes. That they it was were, because like, of the money. In. Yeah, right. Of course. Yes. Yeah, Salvador Dali. He's famous right. in his own time. So, um, so they finally got it up and running. And they filmed all of this footage. And then once production closed up shop, Hitch was like, I'm out. Make your dumb movie however you want. And Selznick recut the movie over and over and over again and then reshot a bunch of stuff with the Salvador Dali stuff because he didn't like the way Hitchcock did it. So that whole – pretty much that whole sequence is all shot by Selznick. Oh, it's nice. not even Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. 
so anyway, so the point with this movie that I I enjoy is that it's Hitchcock fighting against the Hollywood studio. Like the most famous Hitchcock movies that like people really know and respect are is like really his late much of his later work. You know, North by right. Northwest and Psycho, Rear Window, The Birds, um, Vertigo. Those are all independent Alfred Hitchcock. This is Alfred Hitchcock making studio movies. Right. And I like that tension that exists in the film. You said to yourself, like, it doesn't feel like Alfred Hitchcock. Like, it does, but there's something not quite right about it. Right. Because it's all studio interference, the whole movie, all the way through. What is also fun about that, I don't want to do your stupid love story thing, is that Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman had an affair during this movie. See? So it was true. So it was true love. It's kind of... It's kind of like um, A Star is Born. Yes. I, I don't know exactly what you're referring to about A Star is Born, but yes, Lady Gaga absolutely. and Bradley Cooper yeah. played lovers on screen and were clearly lovers in real life. Oh, yeah. And now they are actually lovers in real life, question mark? I'm assuming. So. Yeah, I think, though, no, I think they are. But anyway, so those are my, like, fun facts about... I mean, I could go into more detail about some of the shots in the film, like... Um, there's a surrealist film where a lady's eyeball gets cut. You ever see that? A lady's eyeball gets cut by a razor. Um, and then it, like, cuts to the moon with a cloud going across it to be like, oh, her eye gets cut by a razor. And then it cuts back and you actually see her eye get ripped open by a razor. It's gross. It's great. I have a gif of it. I'll show you. Um, but they did that in the um, uh, dolly sequences right. where they would, like, literally cut the eye with scissors the way right. that all that. So... I like it for all of those reasons. I would not call this Hitchcock at his best by any stretch. I like the whole, uh, Hollywood political side of Spellbound. Mm. It's that part is very interesting. To yeah. Me. So I would say it's worth watching for that. I would not say this movie is really worth watching without that, which is hilarious though. That Hitch, like, even when it got nominated for Best Picture, he was like, "This movie sucks." <laughs> like. Oh, are you excited he's, that you got nominated for Best Director? He's it. like, this movie sucks. I made a crappy movie he, because it got studioed and everything. Like, why are you all and celebrating then, this crappy movie? And then movie? it won all the awards, and Hitch was like, all right, I'm just doing love stories from now on. I'm just doing love stories. Rear Window, here we come. Yep. Love story. <laughs> Psycho, a great love, love story, story. Yep. about a boy the, and his mother. They're all love stories. This was the movie I was watching when I was like, so you're telling me the mother's been dead the entire time? Yeah. Oh, okay. It makes sense now because uh, Hitchcock. Al- okay. Hitchcock yeah. I did not connect at all what you were talking about, and I just there wasn't enough context. I needed to think know that you were watching Spellbound to know what the joke <laughs> was. Otherwise, I was like, "What are you talking about?" Because I was, I think, when you texted me, I was watching Mildred Pierce, <laughs> so I was like, "No, she's right there." No, no, she's <laughs> she's potentially the murderer. I don't know. And anyway, give me some fun facts. Oh, I will, but I think we might have already covered them. Uh, that is Mildred Pierce. That is Anchors Away. That is not Billy Wilder. Okay. Uh, the gun blast at the end of the movie is hand painted. Sir Alfred Hitchcock used a form of hand coloring for the orange red gun blast at the audience. Yeah, it was the only color in the film. Yep. Mm hmm. Producer Signature Hitchcockian style point of view shot. That is such a great shot. Although once you like, once I found out like how they did it, I'm like, oh, it's nowhere near as good. It's a giant gun. Yeah, but it's still cool, right? Yeah, I mean that's cool. That's a cool fact I, of itself. I like, and the thing I like most about that shot 
is how seamless it looks from the tracking, like mm-hmm. the tracking oh, yeah. all like the woman all along the all along the uh, room, and then the gun points inward. And I would assume that's when they used um, that's the red, the, yeah, the giant one. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know the whole that. Actually, a couple of really good point of view shots: the card flinging across the table in the in the dolly sequence, yeah. and the kids sliding down the banister yep. at the end. I don't want to give too much away, but that bit was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, producer David O. Selznick wanted much of this movie to be based on his experiences in psych in psychotherapy. He even brought his psychiatrist in on the set to be a technical advisor. Once she disputed Sir Alfred Hitchcock on the workings of therapy, Hitchcock responded, My dear, it's only a movie. Mm-hmm. That, sounds, that sounds very like Hitchcock. And because I'm going to tie this in, whether you like it or not, with the greatest genre of movies, the teen romance. Oh, goodness. The Shakespearean quote at the start of the movie is an abbreviated version of something that Cassius says to Brutus in Act 1, Scene 2 of Julius Caesar... The full quotation is, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are underlings. And that, is, the, that yes. is where the title, The Fault in Our Stars, comes yes, from. Yes, I know. I've read it. Such a great book and movie. It, they are both good. I agree. John Green is a very good writer. Yeah. I agree with you. It's the only teen romance I can get behind, I think. That and Romeo and Juliet. See, how can you dislike, how can you like that and dislike Five Feet Apart? They're essentially the same movie. Because John Green was original. Mm. Was he, though? I don't know. I don't care, truthfully. <laughs> um, that bit about Shakespeare reminded me that the part in Bells of St. Mary's where the girl stands up and she's like, the sixth sense to be like, if... is the sixth sense. In my own words, to be or, or not, not to, to be, be, that is the question. Ah, it was hilarious. Really? It was so good. When she got up and said the sixth sense, I'm like, if she says I see dead people, I'm this out. movie, This movie took a real shift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you were original M. Night Shyamalan. Punches through space and time. <laughs> anyway, um, Mildred Pierce, directed by Michael Curtis, written by Ronald McDougal. Mc, McDougal. McDougal. McDougal? M A C D O U G A L L McDougal McDougal uh, based on the book by James M Con- uh, Kane James Con uh-huh. starring Joan Crawford Jack Carson Zachary Scott Anne Blythe and Eve Arden this movie was nominated for picture supporting actress uh, for both Arden and Blythe writing bl- and black and white cinematography it won best actress for Joan Crawford has also pretty much reignited her career because she was yes. uh, has been, yep. and then they were like, "Oh my god, she's amazing!" <laughs> oh my god, people can act past thirty five. They can, heaven forbid. Uh, this movie revolves around a hardworking mother who will basically do anything for her extremely spoiled daughter, um, include her, give her all the things, which only makes her more spoiled, and uh, in her love-torn relationship between her first husband and her second husband, and there's a murder, and, you know, who Her who second husband's it. murdered. Her second husband's murdered, and then maybe the first husband did it, but maybe she did it, maybe... Well, the first husband confesses. Yes, he, right. And she's like, no, it couldn't have been him. He's too nice. Now, then why'd you divorce him? It's 1945. What the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> um, the only one who can get a divorce is the king. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, um... FDR? No, shut up. <laughs> it's Truman now. What's the matter with you? Where have you been? <laughs> anyway, um, I think this movie starts really strong because I'm like, 
wow, what is happening? I want to know. Right. And then it starts flashing back, and I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Oh, no, I'm going to find out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> then it, and, then it, <laughs> and then it ramps up again towards the end. Yeah. But, like, the beginning of the flashbacks where she's like, I'm just a poor waitress. Maybe I should own my own restaurants. That bit, I'm like, all right, let's, let's get a move on here. I don't, I don't care for this character development. Yeah, I'm more interested in her being developed as a character later in her life. Let's <laughs> let's let's get rolling. Look, you, you hooked me in with a murder mystery. You hooked me. With I don't a murder need mystery, to know the and entire now you're history. Giving me a family drama. What yeah. is this nonsense? This is not it's what a I want. Bait wanted. and switch. It was a bait and switch, just like a good murder mystery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, I quite enjoyed it, mostly for Joan Crawford. Yeah, she's she's phenomenal. Oh, she's spectacular. Yeah, she's just and the really bratty child. And Blythe. Yeah. She is a Vita. Yeah, her name is Vita. Right. Yeah. I thought you were like, she was a Vita. I'm like, I don't no, think she was. her name is Vita. That was Madonna? V-E-D-A. Right. Yeah, and she is, oh, she's the worst. Yeah. There is nothing like a brat to get my blood boiling, I think. Like, like I think of, like, the characters, like, on screen or in books that I, like, absolutely despise. Right. And most of them are brats. Yeah. I just can't stand brats. I was really surprised when she started singing uh, Veruca's song from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, when she was like her little Honolulu number thingy. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, well, I mean, her, her mom was upset about that too. It was a <laughs> little much. Yeah. Um, I, it's a, fi- it's a film, it's a film noir. Um, shoulder pads everywhere. Joan Crawford's shoulders were out of control. No. She denies that. I know she does. How could you deny that? Just look at so, like you know, like I don't understand like how she thought people would believe it. Is my question. Look, when you when you take a stand, you stick by it. Yes, I'm aware of yours. I'm aware of <laughs> your life philosophy. Yep. Nope. I said I hated this when I was four. I will always hate yep. it now. I can't change my mind. That's the way I am. Get out of here, Lion King. Yep, I said I did it. I wasn't interested in you that that long ago, and I have to maintain that. That's just who I am, Palmer Chase. Yeah. Last, yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, this movie I did really like. Um, yeah, I could have done without a lot of the backstory, like a good chunk of the backstory. Yeah, I could have started a little later in the backstory life. Right. Yeah, she's narrating the whole thing. She's like, I used to be poor and now I'm not. Let's start here. Exactly. Like, I was married to him. He was kind... I, like, I assume he was cheating on her mm-hmm. with Mrs. Butterfield or Baker Cup or whatever her name was. We'll go with Baker Cup. I like yeah. that one. <laughs> um, so they they split up. They still kind of kept a decent relationship Mm-hmm. Um, and then she kind of gets interested in this guy who's rich, but is also like a gold digger. Yep. Which meanwhile, is hard to be child- both. Right. And meanwhile, her childhood friend is like, I'm here. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm likable or not. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. They, uh, the, her like second in command. Right. Who I really liked. I did too. Uh, and then the, like her oldest daughter, her youngest daughter's fine. Her oldest daughter is kind of brought up to want really rich and expensive things. Like mm-hmm. even before she starts getting involved with the, the rich slash gold digger husband, like right. they, they're in a house and she's like, can't we just move back to our big house with all the servants 
Well, even when they she gives her that dress and she's like, I would never wear this. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shut up. This movie also had um, the one of the stars of Gone with the Wind. George Reeves. George Reeves was in Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He plays. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I can't think of her name. The the woman with the really high voice. She's oh, the servant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, she's yes, also yes. the. She's like the. She's. Um, she's uh, Vivian. Lee's. Vivian Ray. Vivian. Vivian from France. Vivian. <laughs> Vivian from Gone with the Wind. Oh, sure. Sorry. I. I honestly, I haven't seen Gone with the Wind since I was a kid. Right. And now that I know that we're gonna, we have to watch it. For we do. Ca- I'm like resisting. Um, yeah, she's like it. her personal mm-hmm. um, servant in Gone with the Wind, and she's the one that kind of. Stays with her throughout most of the movie. Gotcha. Um, I she's like she's recognizable mainly because of her like really high voice. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's good in it. I was really happy to see her because I didn't know a lot of her career before after Gone with the Wind. So it was nice to see her in another movie. Mm-hmm. Um, once this movie kind of gets into that second relationship, and you see how it kind of dissolves and then comes back, right. And then kind of dissolves again. Mm-hmm. That's where this movie shines. Um, it would be interesting to me. They did a remake a few years ago with Kate Winslet. It's a with mini-series. Kate Winslet, it's a, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think this plays better as a miniseries because you have like hour, hour and a half chunks of episodes. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of fl- like. I'm hoping some of like the more noir stuff is fleshed out. In a those, a lot of low key lighting. Yeah, more low key lighting. Yeah, so I I did really enjoy this movie, and it's a movie that I I don't know if I would watch this version again, but it, I would. I'm interested to see the other versions of it. Mm-hmm. I I would like to watch the Kate Winslet version as well. Yeah, I am definitely interested to watch this again. I think I think Crawford's performance is very layered. Yeah, and like so, an onion, like an onion or a parfait. So um, I'm sure that you also have layers of fun facts. So why don't we I do. get into those? Do 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 do. Palmer's little song as he opens up his phone. Yep, because he's never ready for when I say, "Okay, it's fun fact time." Because you usually try and go buy it. There were conflicts between Michael Kurtz and Joan Crawford. He wanted her canned, claiming she was altering the look and interpretation of the character to make her more glamorous. There, there were the inevitable arguments over shoulders with Crawford tearfully and not altogether truthfully, claiming her dowdy, off-the-rack Sears dresses were unpadded. Kurtz stated referring to her as pho- started referring to her as phony Joni and that rotten bitch, laying into her mercilessly in front of cast and crew. Crawford wanted the director fired and replaced with a human being. That's cr- so sad. Also, th- whoever wrote that fun fact is biased. He wanted to replace with a human being. Oh, unless that's a quote from... That is a quote. Oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. The film was made around the time Jack L. Warner asked the studio's cinematographers and art directors to devise new means of cutting corners without losing any of the quality. Apparently, there was concern that too much detail was being used in sets, which in turn took more time to light and thus slowed up production. Despite this proclamation... The film suffered no loss of set detail. Beneath its noir lighting lay strikingly complex settings like the Bergeron Beach House, so essential to the plot that it opens the film. 
Bergeron's home is a twisting maze of rooms and staircases that perfectly represents Grot's desire to build menace into the sets. I would, yeah, the product design of this movie is excellent. Yes. Yep. Joan Crawford was nominated and won the Academy Award for Best Actress for Mildred Pierce. Spoiler. She was, you said that. I know. She was not at the award ceremony because she was at home in bed with pneumonia. However, in the special features DVD, her daughter Christina says that she faked her illness. Joan did not think she would win the Academy Award and did not want to attend the ceremony to be humiliated. It was said that after she had heard that she won the award for Best Picture, she jumped out of bed, did her makeup, and put on her best negligee to meet the press. That's great. Did that negligee have padding? Did it have shoulder pads? Maybe. It's negligee, so it's exposed padding. It's just (laughs) out. Yeah. You can make fun of the shoulder pads all you want. She was terrific in this movie. Hard to work with, obviously, but the so, best talented, so talented. Exactly. Well, anyway. Me and, me and Joan Crawford share that. Yes, you are hard to work with. That is correct. The last movie, The Lost Weekend, was actually supposed to be titled The, the last, last Weekend. That's my own fun fact. Stop stepping on my segment. I, I have one job. <laughs> And you barely do it. Well, <laughs> you try and watch five movies in a day. I, I spaced them out like a human being. <laughs> like, you know, I put all the, you see all this, this note taking that that's I a, do. That's a lot of note. taking. Yeah. That's what I do. You look, go to IMDb and find the three funnest <laughs> facts. Look, the reason why I keep saying I need good co-hosts is because I'm here for the humor. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now. Now that you've said that, I'm not writing your jokes next week. <laughs> All right. The Lost Weekend, directed by Billy Wilder, written by Charles Brackett and Billy Wilder, based on the novel by Charles R. Jackson, starring Ray Milland, Jane Wyman, Philip Terry, Howard DeSilva, Doris Dowling, and Frank Phelan. Nominated for cinematography for black and white film, editing, and music for Rosa, who ended up winning for Spellbound. Uh, this movie won Best Picture, Best Actor for Milland, Director, and Screenplay. It follows the life of alcoholic Don Burnham as he goes through a four-day drinking bout. It's not really a weekend. It's four-day. It's a long weekend. That's the whole point. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, remember, because his brother is like, yeah, we're leaving now, and I'm not even going to be back until Tuesday. So right, because Martin the King Day. Right, it's a long weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... Is it Martin Luther King Day? Is that what probably it is? not in the forties? No, and no, no, it probably wasn't. <laughs> no, just throwing that out wow, there. Wow, that's and you're a teacher. No, just was not. Did not connect that for a second. <laughs> it was Yom Kippur, if you remember. It was is a great joke. Although, like as you pronounce it, Yom Kippur in this film, they pronounce it Yom Kippur. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not here to say if that's true or not. No, I, I'm pretty sure it's Yom Kippur. Like, K- Kippur sounds weird. I don't believe it's actually pronounced like that. People say things sometimes. Sometimes pronunciation I don't believe that person the, in the, the generation is actually do. Jewish. I, I'm not sure. I honestly was too busy laughing at the joke. They're like, yeah, they don't open on, uh, on Yom, Yom Kippur. Kippur. We, we don't, don't open, open on, on St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day. <laughs> He's like, that's a joke, right? You're not, this is not real. Okay, no, it's real. <laughs> the, the, okay. No, they probably don't open on St. Patrick's Day. No, probably not. Um, so this movie is supposed to look at the life of a chronic alcoholic in the, I guess, the realest way possible for a film in 1945. You know, this is a post, 
almost post World War II, post Prohibition, and they even mentioned in the film that so much of the drinking problem in America like arose from Prohibition because when something is illegal, people are more inclined to do it. When they're not allowed to, they're like, "Ooh, no, I want to do that." And so, especially if they're used to having a drink, especially if they're used to having a drink. So, um, so a lot of alcoholics came out of, came out of prohibition and it was hard to kind of stem that tide. I thought this was a very well done film. Yes. There was, Milland was, was really, really excellent. And he's, you know, an aspiring writer basically. And, um, who has writer's block, who has writer's block. But so he, he is very poetic in his in his descriptions about his own alcoholism and like how he treats the drink and his friends and his family and his girlfriend and like all of this all of this stuff and it's 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 very well constructed film. It's a very sobering film. Well played. Good I pun. Thought so. Yes. Um I I'm pretty sure this is one of your fun facts. Don't do it. Okay, I won't do it. If it's not one of your fun facts, I'll come back okay. to it. Okay. Um, but I think that it's... I wouldn't call it antiquated, but it's kind of antiquated, if that makes sense. Like, it's, it's, it's a little... Even though it's realistic in some way, it's also very Hollywood in a lot of other ways. Um, and so it's not like... Remember, have you ever seen... Um, Clean and Sober with Michael no. Keaton. Oh no, really? It's a really good movie. Would would recommend. But this is a little bit more like looking back at it is a little bit more Hollywood studio because it's like a slightly film noir story at the same time. Cinematography is excellent in this film. I love that shot where he puts the the shot glass of rye down and it leaves a ring. Oh, so you can see how many shots he has when yeah, they keep coming back. When they keep coming I really back. loved that. That yeah. was a really it was really nice. And there's a lot of there's a lot of that here. And I think a lot of the ancillary characters are also interesting. Like Bim from the 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 Bim, Alcoholics Bim, Ward. Bim. Yeah, the this the uh, Alcoholics Ward is like cruel but kind but realistic mm-hmm. but like it's just like this really interesting mix and he's only on screen for like five minutes but yeah. you're like what is your story i want to know more about you yeah I, I enjoyed this movie quite a bit i could see why it won best picture in 1945 46 um i i really like this movie more like the like i kn- i knew i was liking it while i was watching the movie and like the fact that we we're going to talk about it It'll make me like it a little bit more. I will say I agree with most of your stuff. The The part I disagree with is when you say, like, it's good for its time. I think this movie handles the problems of alcoholism much better than almost any – than a lot of films that I've seen. I'm not going to say any film. Than a lot of films I've seen – sense it and um i will tie this into just this year a star is born mm-hmm. we had this long debate on on how the alcoholism in that movie i felt it ruined their relationship 
but I felt it was like the Hollywood aspect of like she didn't care and she just kept like glossing over and it didn't show like the um, like the the issues. And here I I do like he knows what he's putting her through and he's trying to even tell her, look, this is going to keep happening. This is who I am. You should get away. And it's then it's her choice to kind of stay. It's not like he's trying to keep keep her in. Um, I am not going to reopen the Star no, Wars saying... debate. I will only say that this movie is about alcoholism and A Star is Born is not about alcoholism. It's part of the story, but that's not what the focus of the film is. And so I don't know if I want to really – I don't want to compare them exactly in that way. And so uh, I understand what you're saying. Right. I, and in and a I way, I agree with you. I understand you don't want to – I understand you don't want to compare them. For one, whenever we start talking about A Star is Born, our episodes go to like five hours at that point. But – um, like that was. I just wanted to say that, like, this is the ki- This is the type of dynamic that I wished was in A Star Is Born. So I'm getting it in this movie, and I feel like it's a much more real portrayal of alcoholism than I've seen in a while. It'll be interesting now that I've seen this movie when we go back and watch um, Leaving Las Vegas mm-hmm. with Nicolas Cage. Yep. To see if because like that's just all about. He knows, he knows where he's going to end up, and he's self-destructing. This guy, he doesn't know where he's going to end up. Right? He he kind of self like he kind of self-destruct, and he like he almost takes his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I so I really like the dynamic in the relationships of him knowing he had this problem initially, trying to hide it from her, and then when she kind of finds out about it. He's like, well, I'm glad you kind of know this now. You should go. Mm-hmm. And and for some reason, I don't know why, it took me a little bit to realize that they were telling the story backwards almost. Mm-hmm. Um, like when he first meets her, like for some reason, my brain didn't connect that they were the same woman Maybe originally. Maybe watched five movies in one day. Probably. When, when like I don't know why movie? Ingrid Bergman was even in this movie. As a as a priest, as a priest, yep, yep. <laughs> it um, went strange for you, yep. So, um, I don't believe it's one of my fun facts, but this is the f- this is the first movie with Thurman. I thought it was the first movie with yep. Thurman, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, I liked that he gave it this like the he gave the alcoholism like its own theme, right? And that it's a. Uh, you know, it's like this otherworldly, like uh, ethereal, like like the theremin you associate in the, at this point, like ten years later, you're going to associate with B science with fiction. Sci- yeah, not even B. Like just, I mean, the fifties and sixties. Right. B is like level of special effects that that is just normal. Right. But you think of like uh, them or something like right. that. Right. Or know, like giant nine ants from out of space. Right. Or yeah, giant. Uh, yeah. Ants in the desert or Ed Wood or whatever. Yeah. But um, to 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 kind of manifest itself that way through the music, it kind of reminded me of Lord of the Rings, how the ring has its own theme. Like, it doesn't do anything necessarily because mm-hmm. it's an inanimate object, but it's that hold and that struggle that yeah. the character had, that that, um, that character has over it, and it's kind of, like, shown through, shown through that music. But yeah. 
the theremin being that like otherworldly ethereal yeah. thing as i in said in fact this is the first movie um to be given a special a special achievement rewindy for best use of theremin yes first one ever yeah the first special achievement rewindy Wow. Are there any other movies that should have gotten special achievements nah. taking it backwards? No. I don't think so. No. You only get it if you use a theremin. Oh, it's, just, it's very specific. It's <laughs> yeah. not like best effects or anything like that. No. It's, it's just that. Well, give me some more fun facts. Okay. Did he? Yeah, Did since, he... since you started with the theremin, we figured we might as well just go into more fun facts. Billy Wilder claimed that the liquor industry offered Paramount $5 million this was my to not release the film. He also suggested he would have accepted had they offered it to him. Yep. So who knows what he would have done. It was only in later years that Billy Wilder discovered that the title of Charles R. Jackson's novel is actually a typo. It was supposed to have been called The, La- the Last Weekend. Right. Which... Which actually, in a makes weird more way, sense. It makes more sense, but it also kind of gives away the ending. So, right, but that's fine. It, it is, and it's not. Like, because I guess it, it could be. It's kind of a red herring it, at the same time. In but. all honesty, like watching this, I'm like, like after the movie was done, I actually went, "Why the hell is this called the Lost Weekend?" Because he can't remember where. But he time does, though. Went. I know. I don't know because they yeah. didn't know where he was. <laughs> but they did. He was somewhere in the city. <laughs> Ray Milland actually checked himself into Bellevue with the help of resident doctors in order to experience the horrors of a drunk ward. Milland was given an iron bed and locked inside the booze tank. That night, a new arrival came into the ward screaming, an, intra- an entrance which ignited the whole ward into hysteria. I'm pretty sure that was Jack Nicholson from <laughs> One from Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Nest. Yep. With the ward falling into bedlam, a robed and barefooted Milland escaped while the door was ajar and slipped out onto 34th Street, where he tried to hail a cab. When a suspicious cop spotted him, Milland tried to explain, but the cop didn't believe him, especially after he noticed the Bellevue insignia on his robe. The actor was dragged back to Bellevue, where it took a half hour to explain his situation to the authorities before he was finally released. That's funny and horrifying, but funny. Good end of fun fact segment. Yeah. Palmer, we're moving on to the Rewindies. Yay. Since we just gave a special award. Palmer, we're going to do actor, actress, supporting actor, actress, cinematography, special effects, production designer, music, writing, best picture. You ready for this? Wait, we're doing music now? Yeah, we always do music. I'm pretty sure we don't. I know. I add a category every episode. (laughs) Have you not figured this out yet? Wait, wait. Best use of a pencil. (laughs) Best blade of grass. Yeah. What? Bill. Bill. In the movie Bill. Anyway, best actor. Me from watching five movies in one day. So you didn't watch them. You acted that you just watched yeah. them? Wow. Yeah. Uh, no, it would be uh, Milland. Yes, Lost I agree. Weekend. Milland. Ray Milland for Lost Weekend. Best actress. Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford for Millard, Mildred Pierce. I agree. Supporting actor. Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra for Anchors Away. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Frank Phelan for The Lost Weekend. He played Bim, that guy. Right, right. I, I enjoyed that. I kind of considered Frank Sinatra the other lead actor yeah, for I'm, Anchors Away, but not that we play by any particular I'm rules. writing a wrong in giving the acclaim to Frank Sinatra. I wanted to just give the supporting actor to Gene Kelly, even though I knew he was the lead, but even <laughs> though I knew Millen deserved it more. Right. I was all like, but Gene Kelly, you'll be back. It's okay, Gene <laughs> Kelly. Um, supporting actress. 
Uh, Verda in Mildred Pierce. Anne Blythe. Yeah. I'm also going to give it to Anne Blythe for Mildred Pierce. Cinematography. I know. I would. I would give it to Spellbound. Spellbound oh, for the Salvador Dali bits. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I thought about it. I'm going to give it to Anchors Away for the way that yeah. they filmed in uh, a studio. The, the that doesn't matter. They filmed the stuff. Where do you think they filmed the Salvador Dali stuff? At Salvador Dali's house. In Salvador Dali's brain. Right. They went into his brain. They did. It was a, it was a fantastic voyage. Though. It was. This is a fantastic voyage into Salvador Dali's brain. <laughs> it's lost to history now. We'll never watch it. Um, I'm going to give it to Anchors Away because of the way they um, because of the way they were able to shoot the dancing. Live, live, I was going to say the musicians, actually. The live musicians playing was very, very interesting and difficult. The way that they edited it so, together. So your entire your entire award is predicated on the fact of whether or not they actually were playing live. No, they no, not whether they were playing live because they were playing live. Even if they went into the studio and re-recorded, and that's the track that they used, which is probably true because that's what everyone does. Um, they were still playing. Yeah, they were still playing the instruments because because I watched Anchors Away after you. Um. Because I finished it this morning. Okay. Um, so I was like watching for, I was watching for what you were like talking about. They were definitely playing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I you don't just know. don't want to believe that people are good at things. Well, they're not. I am, but most uh-huh. people are not. That's correct. It's not, though. Production design. Uh, Mildred Pierce. I'm going to give it to Spellbound. Okay. In that case, for the Salvador Dali bits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, special effects, which really isn't anything, but I thought that we should talk about Gene Kelly dancing with cartoons, so I'm going to give it to Eggers Away, <laughs> because... Just for that, I'm giving it the Spellbound. Just, I mean, also good. Yeah, it's no, fine. um, Gene Kelly dancing with, uh, with Jerry. Jerry, yeah. Um, is, is really good. Still not the first time that's happened, though. I believe... Sound, uh, yeah, I believe Sound of Music is before this. Sound of Music was made in the '60s. We just watched it. You're thinking uh, of Mary the, Poppins? No, 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 not no. Uh, Song of the South. I'm sorry. Oh, Song of the South is definitely before this, right? Because sure. Song of the South is the first time um, the animation and live action thing is done. And that's so sad that such a terrible, terrible film uh, is such an important film in some way. It is such an important film. Um, 1946. So, so it's actually a year after. Uh huh. So there, so there uh, was well, some other look movie. Up, look up um, Anchors Away. Maybe it was right around the same time. Wouldn't that have shown up in your fun facts? But I'm pretty sure I've read fun facts that um, Song of the South was the first one to use. Like, it could have been in production longer, so it wins by, like, when it was shot. Maybe. That feels like a... Uh... I don't know. That feels like a what was the first um the first film to do live action and animated together was The Lost World in 1925. Oh right, yeah. And then there was The New Gulliver in 1935, which is a Soviet film. Yeah. In 1940, Warner Brothers cartoon You Ought to Be in Pictures I should be. uh featured Warner Brothers character interacting with live action people. Okay. So 1940. Um so you have Song of the South. I think it's because the, like the majority of the film is that. Gotcha. Um, it's the first Disney movie 
that is headed by an African American as far as act as far as lead are you, acting. Are you sitting here and defending Song of the South for its blatant racism? No, I'm saying I'm saying all the important things. Uh, gotcha about uh, Song of the South. Gotcha. I thought you were like, no, no, no. That bit's okay because of. I'm all not these saying things. it's okay. Oh, okay. Um, however, I think it's it's one of those like it's of its time. Oh uh, yeah. Um, because. So aside from him being the first African-American to head a Disney film, it's also one of the first times an African-American heads a movie in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, like, I, if I remember correctly, they had, the, um, they had the premiere in, like, Atlanta, Georgia, which is horrifically racist still at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not allowed to be at the premiere, and I believe Disney was like... Either he's allowed to come to the premiere or we're going to go someplace else. And I believe they allowed him. Wow. Um, so, yes, there are scenes in the movie that are bad. And I'm not – I would never defend those scenes. But there are still important parts about the movie. There, the movie is still an important part of cinema. Um, well, sure. I mean, heck, the jazz singer is an important part of cinema, but nobody like we're not going to defend. But uh, Al but Jolson but the here, funny you know thing is, I mean? like, you can you can readily see the jazz singer. You cannot see Song of the South. Yeah. You can actually still buy it, though. Did you know that there's you can a, buy it out out of state, uh, out of the country? Rather. No, actually, you can buy it in state. There's a there's a store in I want to say Georgia. I'm pretty sure it's Georgia. Um, that is allowed to sell it by the by Disney. That because it's culturally significant for the area, so you can buy it like in this town. In like, and they have. Well, what it is is there was one release Disney did in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I believe they did it. I know they did it on Laserdisc. I believe they also did it on VHS. But one of the other things is Disney knows a lot of people sell pirated versions of it like sure. but like this is the one film they won't go after people on because they're not going to sell it themselves. because they're not going to sell it themselves although they do sell again they do sell it out of country they've released it a few times out of country because it gets more bad press in country but again like jazz singer has the same has a lot of the same problems because of the time it was mm-hmm. made but the fact like no one says anything about the jazz singer and i'm sorry Gone with the winds, even worse. Sure, I mean we could we could be here all night right. debating films of their time. That's right. part of the reason that the show exists in the first yeah. place. But we're not going to do that because you said, "quote This is going to be a short episode." Well, that went and, out the window. And two it's hours not ago. because you started ranting about Song of the South. Yeah, so just, you're welcome. I'm um, I'm content filling. That's interesting. So just now, tell me, uh, writing what wins best writing? Song of the South. No. No. Um, uh, best writing, I'm going to give it to Mildred Pierce. Mildred Pierce for best writing. Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to give it to The Lost Weekend. Yeah, that was a close second for me. And then best picture goes to... <sighs> Lost Weekend. I am also going to give it to The Lost Weekend, though my... Yeah, I'm going to give it to The Lost Weekend. My reasons I like Spellbound are because it's behind the scenes, not because I think it's a like the best movie of the bunch. Right. And I liked Anchors Away because of the, the singing and the dancing, but I don't think it's a better movie than the rest of them. Right. It's, it might be the more enjoyable, 
It might be the more easy to sit through. Right, but that doesn't make it the best. Right. There's, like, Lost Weekend ticks more boxes than Anchors Away. Story, acting. And I would agree with that same about Mildred Pierce, where it's close. But right. Lost like, Weekend just like if ticks I, one more yeah. box. Um, and I just, and I think because on, I think one of the differences between us in what you uh, give it to and why I give it to it is I believe this movie ages very well. I feel like this movie hasn't been done as well that I've seen since this movie came out. So for the, for the things that it deals with and the, the category, the, the topics that it tackles, Mm -hmm. I think it does it just as well as it did back then as it, does today I think when I said that it's it's not exactly right I think I think it's just that I think it's the dialogue really more than anything I think like it's just um okay he has an elevated way of speaking everybody kind of does and and that's what I mean where it just feels a little Hollywood where it doesn't feel exactly real not what he does his actions Mm -hmm. feel very real the way he sneaks around and, you know, like this and this, and he begs and he hides. barters and hides. And that stuff is... Hides the, the alcohol, like, when you... Like the, out the, the fir- window. The first time you see it, it's, like, tied to a rope hanging out the window. He puts it in a lamp. Then he forgets it. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. You know, he buys one bottle for his brother to find, so right. the second one is will be hidden. Yep. This Things- is also the best version of a Batman origin ever. Say more things right now. So the scene where he sees the the little mouse oh, coming sure. out of the wall yeah. and the bat <laughs> comes flying in and he goes crazy. I'm like, this is Batman. <laughs> Alfred, I shall become a bat. No, sir, you're having you're having a vision. You're having the DTs. Yeah, that's not that's not the same, sir. All right. Anyway, um, wow, what a what a run this was. <laughs> like Palmer, where can all the people find us and stuff? Uh, they can find us on Twitter at Academy Rewind. Uh, where everything posted is Tim approved. It is not. I don't think anything you say is approved by me ever. So I run the Academy Rewind Twitter page. Uh, Tim, you can find him at Timothy PG 13. Yeah. I I didn't know if it was there underscore or not. Uh, you could email us, but truth be told, we've forgotten the password to the email. So just, you know, we have an email. Yeah. So just, just tweet us. Tweet us the email. Yeah, that's fine. Like a picture of the email. It'll be fine. Then it will actually respond because we're pretty good at responding on Twitter. <clears throat> uh, you can also hear Tim's voice on like 18 other Thought Bubble Audio shows, including okay. Beer with Geeks, and read this. Read up. So close, though. <sighs> you were so close. And Tolkien TV Talk and Supergirl TV Talk. And I'm sure there's another one coming out next month. Um, I guessed it on Shoe Krypton. That was fun. Yeah. And uh, I think that's it for podcasts for me. Yeah. And you can find Palmer ranting and raving somewhere else. Soon on Batwoman TV Talk. Uh, soon I'm, on Batwoman yeah, TV Yeah, I believe we'll have a new episode coming out um, in July. Unfortunately, like, everything's been crazy with the co-host. And it's good, like... It's, the show hasn't started yet, so. right? Tolkien TV Talk. We're not on a um, we're not on a regular <laughs> on a either. on a reliable time schedule. No, yeah, not like at once all. the show starts, we'll be we'll be on time and probably we'll probably have the, the episodes up that night. Heck, my show's not even premiering until twenty twenty one. Yeah, like why am I going to sit down and record something <laughs> every week? 
before, like, this is too long. I don't have anything I, to I say. I figure you guys were just, like, reading the Lord of the Rings trilogies to the audience. I mean, we could. I mean, how <laughs> yeah. Mifflin might come after us. You but, have enough time. <laughs> yeah, we do. Anyway, uh, coming up on Academy Rewind, the last episode of the season. <gasps> I know, gasp. 1936 Best Picture nominees. Oh, I can't wait to hear these three movies. There are 12 of them. All right. Yeah, there are 12. Okay. <laughs> I have to double check. One, two. I have to double check. Les Miserables. Yay! With Hugh Jackman? No. Can I watch the one with Hugh Jackman? Sure. Yay. But you also have to watch this one. Dang. <laughs> and if you're going to watch them all in one day again, remember, 12 movies. And it's 1936, so there are no time limits. No, but they're only like 45 minutes apiece. Yeah, uh-huh. That's right. They're definitely not. Let's see. Les Mis is an hour and 49 minutes. We'll do this the whole thing. Alice <laughs> Adams is an hour and 39 minutes. Ooh. Naughty Marietta Ooh. is an hour and 45 minutes. Ruggles of Red Gap is an hour and 30 minutes. These are nice. David Copperfield. Uh, didn't we already see David Copperfield? Two hours and 10 minutes. Oh. No, oh. we watched Tales of Two Cities. Yeah. Oh, okay. Broadway Melody of 1936, an hour and 41 minutes. That doesn't sound like it's an actual cohesive movie. <laughs> it's actually quite famous. I know, but there's like different Broadway melodies of such and such time. Mm. A Midsummer Night's Dream, Ooh. two hours and 25 minutes. <laughs> Mutiny on the Bounty, Ooh. two hours and 12 minutes. <laughs> uh, the Lives of Bengal, Bengal Lancer. Uh-huh. An hour and 49 minutes. Okay. Captain Blood. Ooh. Uh, an hour and 59 minutes. Okay. Captain Blood is actually the reason... Um, the, the Captain Blood invented the High Seas Adventure sound, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, so the... Like if that, so like, the Hans Zimmer score of Pirates of the Caribbean? Basically, Pirates of the Caribbean score exists today because of Captain Blood. Like, that's, that's the sound. Um, the Informer... Ooh. An hour and 31 minutes. Inform. And finally, Top Hat. An hour and 41 minutes. I swear to God, if that's just about an animated Top Hat and it's... The story centers on wealthy Dale Tremont, played by Ginger Rogers, on holiday in London and Venice. She assumes the American entertainer Jerry Travers, played by Fred Astaire, is the husband of her friend Madge, Helen Broderick, who actually, who's actually the wife of Jerry's business order, Horace Hardwick, Edward Everett Horton. Uh, my version is better. I'm pretty sure it's a musical because Fred Astaire. <laughs> Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. That is correct. Yep. It's going to be great. Palmer, thank you so much for joining us, as you always do. <laughs> so um, you're, you're very welcome. That's, I'm glad that you said that because they're playing us off. No, I have so many more people to thank and 12 movies to watch. Oh, well, too bad. Get started now. Bye. Bye.